not okay but that's okay a podcast about the intersection between mass media culture and mental health i'm kaylee legrand and i'm tanya lasagna (laughs) smells like lasagna in here uh we're in tanya's studio apartment and it's not even i don't know why i call it a studio because it's like the studio we're recording and it's a studio if we're recording but she has multiple rooms in her apartment i just want to be in a studio um, we're looking for a place right now, so if anybody knows of studio places or apartments that are available or houses that have 10-foot ceilings, um, minimum, <laughs> I, I need that. Okay, that's a requirement, and that's why it's been so difficult to find another place to live in Toronto. That being said, it also smells kind of like lasagna because Tanya was cooking, and it's delightful, and it's so homey and cozy, and we have a new guest that we've brought into the Whatnot family today. Our guest today is Sarah. Sarah, can you introduce yourself? I am Sarah. I work at a company that does strategic marketing and digital content creation for the film and television industry, and I'm a project manager there, so I am very busy. <laughs> you, you, you have like a, a grown-up, a real person job. Um, that's what us actors call that. And I met you at a, a rap party, I and mean, we worked on the same project together. And so that's how we ended up connecting, yes. and we ended up singing some karaoke together. <laughs> yeah. that, right? It was fantabulous. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, we didn't get to, we chatted a little bit about what you do. Yes. Because I had many questions, obviously. <laughs> but I want to delve deep. I want to know more about what this busy lifestyle looks like for you. So let's first talk about what what your days look like before we talk about how you manage all of it in your life and keep yourself sane. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's an interesting question because my day-to-day is never really the same. Um, What I do varies so much. So sometimes I do a lot of, you know, client management, working with producers and broadcasters to get done what they want done. Sometimes it's, you know, conceptualizing content. What graphics should we make? How should we make this poster look? What videos should we produce? Um, what, you know, social media content should we make? What's the best GIF from this episode? Side note, it's <laughs> GIF, not GIF, in my opinion. Ah, <laughs> there we go. I say GIF. I, I say, I say, say GIF. So, apparently the official way to say it is GIF. No way. But that doesn't make any sense because the G stands for graphic. Yeah. So why would you say it GIF? But the so guy who invented the GIF yes. says GIF. Yeah. I remember I this now. I remember doing the research on it because I remember having an argument with one of my entire improv groups, <laughs> and I said "give" at the beginning. But I remember, I remember being so indecisive by the end of it as to what to believe. I'm like, I've been led down a rabbit hole, um, and an imposter is on the other side, and he doesn't understand what he's created, no. or maybe he just didn't understand the English language or maybe. semantics. It's a hot button issue. <laughs> How do you? Okay, so. <laughs> How do you select the best gift? What are the key components? As an actor, we need to know, like, what should we be hitting so that we become gifts? Yeah, I want to be a gift. Yeah. That's actually the number one thing I hear from any cast that I work with, is I want to be a gift. Oh I was my like, God. I can make that happen. 
Um, that's actually one of my favorite parts of my job is when we work on a show, part of my job is just watching it that's and deciding like what's the best content, what would be a good quote graphic. Mm -hmm. um, so really, I mean, it depends on the show what makes the best gift, but like, you know, in a drama, things that are very like heart-wrenching or like, you know, those bombshell moments that make you go, <gasps> when you're watching it, um, and in a comedy, something, you know, when people are very, you know, exaggerated with funny faces, that kind of stuff tends to make the best mm -hmm. content. But a big part of my job is deciding what's the best content, what's gonna resonate with fans. Because really, at my company, our policy is very much about building communities, building audiences, building fandoms, as opposed to getting likes. It's about creating, you know, an engaged audience of people who want to be there, who are passionate about the show, about the film, whatever. So we're very, very passionate about the content that we create. It's not about just the numbers. It's about creating things that people are genuinely going to like. Um, so we put a lot of effort into thinking, what what are people going to want? Um, which is interesting at times because you, you we put a lot of effort into understanding our audiences. So we, we develop these pretty intense psychographic profiles of our audience. Who are they? What age are they? Where do they like to shop? What do they do for a living? What's their income? You know, how do they spend their free time? Do they stream? Do they watch live? It's it's a lot of research into who our audiences are, and it sounds a little scary sometimes when you think about how, how much information you can really get about people on the internet, because you can get a lot. How do you get, you get, it, you get it off the internet? Yeah, so you can, I mean, there's a lot of different programs you can purchase or subscribe to that allow you to get a lot of insights on your audiences. But even right in Twitter, if you go to like analytics.twitter.com on your profile, it gives you all of this information, income, you know, what their interests are, what kinds of things your audience retweets. On your likes. own profile or on anybody's? Well, it's on your own. You have to be able to log into your account. You can't just look at, like, anyone's. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> I thought you... <laughs> I don't know like, why my mom went there. Like, so <laughs> anyone can just look at my, like, income no. and where I traveled to last <laughs> and, like, no. how I bought tampons last night. And, I mean, I guess that's my demographic. I mean, it keeps... It doesn't give you, like this specific person it gives you right. you know a holistic view of your audience um which you know from a personal perspective you're kind of like wow the internet knows so much about me that's scary but from my perspective as a professional it's really great because it helps me understand you know what can i create that people are going to love mm -hmm. you know if i'm working with a producer on you know creating a shop full of merch for their thing i can tell them you know, what kinds of things their audience is likely to buy, you know, what the price point could be at. Um, so there's a lot, a lot, a lot of information out there. Um, but I love being able to just understand an audience and, and create content that's really going to resonate with them. So that's really kind of the ultimate driving force behind everything that I do at work. So it's creating that content, it's putting together social media calendars, you know, what's being posted when, uh, overarching strategies for the social media, online ad campaigns. We run a lot of ad campaigns, so it's creating an ad strategy for that. Um, I do a lot of field production as well, so I go on set with a shooter to interview cast and crew to produce our behind-the-scenes featurettes or any sort of oh, like, video content. It's the fa my favorite thing that I do at work. <laughs> I love producing. What's um, the weirdest situation you've had when you stepped onto a set to do, <laughs> to do field work? 
Oh, that's that's a big question. Or the most memorable. The most. Me- I mean, I got to interview William Shatner a couple weeks ago, yeah. which was super cool. Um, yeah, I mean, the man has literally done eight billion interviews in his life, so it's old hat for him. And he 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 comes into it. You know, he knows what he wants to say. He's going to say that. And if you ask him questions that he doesn't want to answer, he just won't answer them. He doesn't care. He goes in. He, we were supposed to interview him after lunch. And he had an interview with ET Canada before lunch. And he's like, I just want to do them all now. And he shows up. And we're still setting up. Oh, my God. So my cameraman is, like, losing his shit trying to, like, finish setting up and get the lighting right and everything. And I'm like... I need to make small talk with William Shatner for 15 minutes. How do you make small talk with <laughs> I William I was pissing myself, like, what do I do? You can't just talk about the weather with William Shatner. What did you come up with? How did you keep him there? Um, so, someone on set had been talking about, like, it was their first time on a set, and it was, you know, weird how everything was, like, stop and go and stop and go. There's a lot of intense activity. So I kind of brought up that and how, like, you know, does it still feel the same for him? Because he kind of dictates how everything moves on set. Yeah, when he's first on the call sheet. Oh, yeah. He walks in and, like, it, you know, it doesn't matter if he wants to do something, he does it. We had a, a contest winner on the set that day, too. And uh, he was supposed to be filming a scene, and the contest winner was going to get, like, an autograph and a photo with him after they were done the scene. And uh, William Shatter was just like, no, let's just do it now. So everyone had to hold while he went and did the wow. thing contest winner. It's, it's a little bit of a dickish move, but I guess if you've been doing it for so long, yeah. you also... You, he just you can. <laughs> well, that's just it. He, he does what he wants, and that's fine, but it's very stressful sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I'm just making a small talk with him about that and about set life and you know, how his day is going, I don't know, you just like, you try to keep the conversation going, because he's not super interested in small talk either, I mean, the man's like 86, small talk is not, he's 86, yeah, oh my god, yeah, he might be 85, 85 or 86, either way, yeah, he's, (laughs) probably, still looks all right, yes, funnily enough, he looks better on camera than in person, in my opinion, Really? Which is not usual. That's interesting. It's funny to, um, like, I remember the first time that I experienced that and, and seeing footage back from somebody where I'm like, now I understand what that means when people say, like, oh, the camera loves you or the camera doesn't love you. Yeah. I, I've also met people who are gorgeous. And then when they get on camera, I'm like, oh, wow, no, it's not flattering for you. It's, it's very super, weird. I don't understand it. It's no. super, it, it's confusing yeah. for me. You'd think that we would have the ability to basically create whatever kind of aesthetic appeal we want with the technology that we have. <laughs> so it's like, either way, we can make you look good. No, some people that just don't. It just doesn't good. work. It's so, so weird. He looks better. He looks better on camera. Okay. Than I mean, it, he looks great for his age regardless. <laughs> but yeah, I think he looks better on camera than off. But anyway, William, so- if you're listening, <laughs> you know, we, you can take it. You've been in the industry long enough. We're not going to apologize. <laughs> if you have beef, come noodle it out with us here. <laughs> totally. Totally yeah. noodle out with us. <laughs> oh, no. So yeah, I just kind of kept talking, hoping for the best. Right. I think I blacked out a little bit, just being like, okay. 
Um, how long have you been doing field work or how long have you been in this position at your company now? Yeah, so I've been in this position at my company. Well, it's kind of funny. When I first started, I started as an intern um, and I got officially hired like two, three months into my internship nice. and I was employee number six, technically <laughs> five and a half because one of the other people was only part time. <laughs> Uh, and now we're at like 22 or 23 wow. and nice. I've been with the company for, it'll be five years in January. Congrats. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so I've really grown with the company it's, and it's weird because my first position with the company wasn't as a project manager, but we didn't have project managers at the time. So what was your role? It was, uh, we, we've cycled through a few titles, but it would have been digital and social media specialist. Okay. Um, but I did kind of a mixture of digital and social media specialist work and project manager work as the project required since we didn't have like that kind of hierarchy at the time. Do you still have other digital and social media analysts or specialists underneath you now? Yes. So, okay, so that role still exists. Yes, that role still exists. Um, I'm assuming those are the people who are actually implementing these campaigns that you're designing. Yes, that's okay. correct. So as we've grown, the need to create a sort of hierarchy has grown as well. Because, I mean, when you have six people, everyone is just kind of coming together to make the thing happen. Yeah. Um, it was actually kind of funny when I first started. Um, we were in this tiny shared office. We had two rooms in a shared office space. And I was supposed to share a desk with the guy that was part-time. He was supposed to be leaving at 2.30. But he was so busy, he didn't quite get to leave at 2.30. And they didn't have any desk space for me, so I was sitting on my laptop in the lobby, <laughs> just trying oh, to wow. do my thing. I think we've all been there. Yeah. I think we've all been there. And yeah. also, just being, like, for something like this, for instance, creating the podcast, this is something that is, obviously, we do it on the fly, we do it on the side, we do it as a passion project, so this equipment is usually in my trunk somewhere. Um, I'm really hoping nobody knows my license plate and they're not just breaking in and <laughs> stealing all of my equipment. But they can probably tell because they usually have like wardrobe hanging in my backseat. <laughs> That's the girl that keeps everything in their car. And so I carry it around with me everywhere and, and we're, we're constantly setting up little pop-up shops to, to create whatever it is we need yeah. to create. So very often I have my laptop on my lap to do all the work that I'm doing. Yeah. Or at auditions and yeah. just writing scripts. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I One of the shows I work on is Mary Kills People. And I got a bit of a reputation during the filming last season. Everyone just knew me as the girl sitting on the ground with her laptop. Because <laughs> I just like, you know, a lot of working on set is hurry up and wait. Yeah. And so while I'm there, especially when you're trying to interview cast who are in the scenes, you're just like waiting for the moment where you can get 15 minutes with them. Yeah. So I'm just hanging around set and I'm, there's no point in me just sitting there doing nothing, so I might as well do other work while I'm there. So I just find a place to sit with my laptop. Of course. And that's just how I got known was the girl on the ground with the laptop. Do you still do that stuff? <laughs> yeah, sometimes. <laughs> I just find wherever I can settle up. And you know, it's a habit now. Sometimes I just stop walking on the sidewalk and sit down. <laughs> play on my phone a little you bit. You know. comfortable. As one does. <laughs> So you've been at this company for five years. Yes. You've moved up in the chain. Yeah. Did you know that this is where you were going to be, let's say, maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago? Did you go to school for this? Was this the plan? This is actually a really great story. Um, so the reason I found this job goes back to when I was 14. Mm -hmm. 
I found the show Due South, which for those of you who don't know, is a TV show from the 90s starring Paul Gross as a Mountie who moved to Chicago on the trail of his father's killers and in exposing said killers embarrasses some people in the government and remains in Chicago as a liaison at the Canadian consulate and it's like a buddy detective It's show. the truest Canadian show that there is, aside from, what is it, Corner Gas? Yes. Yeah. The, the Canadian-nest show. Yeah. Yeah. So I was obsessed with this being, you know, a 14-year-old in love with Paul Gross. Oh my god. Um, and I did what any 14-year-old with access to the internet does. I googled it. And I found an online forum devoted to this show. <laughs> so of course I joined it. I was member number four. Oh my god, it was a forum when there were only three people? <laughs> I mean, I think it had just started like a few weeks before I found it. Okay. So I found this forum, I joined it, I fell in love, I built this like little friendship with people from all over the world. The forum grew and grew and people kept, you know, joining. That's cool. Super cool. So I ended up being a moderator on the forum. I was super involved. You know, I was a teenager. I spent all my time on the computer. Um, and... <laughs> Uh, a couple years in, someone brought up that when the show was in its original run, there were fan conventions for it in Toronto. No. <laughs> and someone brought up, what if we did a reunion one? Oh my god. And so 16-year-old me was like, I will give anything to go to this. <laughs> so I begged my mother to take me to Toronto for a weekend to go to this convention, because I lived in Waterloo at the time. Okay. And finally, I convince her to take me to this convention. And I bring my video camera and I record the entire thing, all the panels, everything. I just, I loved it. I was in head because like a, a bunch of the cast members came. Um, the dog came that was in it. <laughs> yes. um, we had a real life Mountie come who does like the PR for the Mounties. Wow. Um, talk about what it's like to be a Mountie. Wow. And so I just had the best time. And after you recorded everything, yes, I recorded everything. I uploaded it to YouTube for all the people who couldn't make it. You know, they could still enjoy the panels, blah, blah, blah. And you're probably doing more than their PR. <laughs> well, so what happened was afterwards, people brought up that they wanted to do another convention. And so the people organizing it got in touch with me and were like, do you want to be involved in planning the next one? And I was like, hell yeah, I do. Like, like teenage me being involved <laughs> in this thing that I'm obsessed with. It was a dream come true. Wow. So I get involved in planning the next three conventions because they end up happening every two years. People people flew from across the world. We had people from someone from Japan, I think. We had someone from Berlin. We had a lot of people from England come, a lot of people from the States. Someone came from Dubai one year. For like, just this show? For this show. It has this incredible cult following still. Am I denouncing my Canadianness <laughs> if I admit that I've never watched this show? I know that it's like most, one of the most popular shows that Canada's ever really seen. <laughs> I've never watched it. A lot of people haven't. Have you watched the, the remake or whatever that spinoff was? Which? There, recently, within the past couple of years, there was some sort of spinoff. Not, it, I don't think it had, um, maybe it had some of the same cast members. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll have to look it up. Yeah. Maybe that'll be my 1.5 uh, one cool thing. <laughs> yeah, 1. there you 5 go. Cool thing. I'll look that up and I'll put a link somewhere. Yeah. Just, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I was drunk and I made it up. <laughs> anyway, back to your story. Yeah. So I got involved in planning these conventions 
And in doing so, I ended up uh, befriending one of the actors who was in the series. Um, he was, he came to every convention, you know, he was very, very generous with all the fans and um, being in a coordinating position, I had a bit more access to him and we developed a friendship. And so when I was in university, I went to um, a school that had a program for media studies with an emphasis in public relations. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, so something that was a bit general. Wait, what school? Guelph Humber. Okay. Uh, it's out near the airport. Because I do this similar... Well, I, I'm actually... Uh, I'm going to go out there next week. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm a college stenographer, so I'll be going to take some courses just to type notes. Um, but the program just sounded very similar to one that I took at Western. Oh, okay. Yeah, the school was still working the kinks out a little bit when yeah. I went. It was, like, not even quite 10 years old when I started. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there were some wins and some misses in that program. Yeah. Um, but one of the benefits it did have was in your fourth year, the second semester is mainly an internship. Um, so I was looking for an internship, and I wasn't really digging anything that the school was posting about. So I just posted on Facebook, like, I'm looking for an internship, something, film and television, event planning, PR, something I'll take. And this actor who was in Do South got in touch with me and was like, I have this friend who owns this company who might be looking for someone, like, I'll put you in touch. And he knows my current boss because he was in a film that she directed back when she was a director. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, so it's this weird kind of colliding of life and whatnot to land me this internship that has turned into this really incredible job. The internship was with your company now. Yeah. Your present company. Yeah. Wow. And I think there's something kind of special about, you know, I was such a, a passionate fan of this show and that's what led me to work for a company that's all about creating passionate fans online. Yeah. Like there's something very serendipitous about that. That is really, cool. really cool. Yeah. So that's one thing, like, I've, I've spoken at a couple university and college classes before, and, like, the one thing I, I tell them every time is, like, be passionate about what you're doing. Don't ever apologize for your passion because you never know when that's going to lead you to the next big thing in your life. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's always kind of what triggers me onto a different trajectory of mm -hmm. some sort. And I've lived nine lives. I've done <laughs> all the different jobs. Um, and every time, I mean... I feel like I'm a little bit more centralized with all of my endeavors now, and they're they're coming full circle. But I'm also grateful that I have veered off on all <laughs> these tangents, um, these occupational tangents, I guess, if, if you will. But I'm I'm finally in a place where they're all making sense. Like I I followed a spark, I followed a passion. For instance, I became a flight attendant after university or during university because all my friends were traveling mm -hmm. and taking like a year off to go travel across Europe, and I really nice. wanted to travel. I had not yet traveled enough, but I also did not know how to take time off. Or, or like, <laughs> I just, with a military father, didn't have that instilled in oh, me. So yeah. I'm like, I'll become a flight attendant so that I can travel the world and get paid for it. And that has also just allowed me to collect a whole bunch of different stories from different cultures that I now bleed back into my own work. Yeah. Following the passion <laughs> has never steered me astray. Yeah. And that's the thing, you don't always know 
what following your passion might lead to. And it might not lead to anything specific. It might just be about, you know, personal growth and happiness, which is an important thing to pursue in its own right. Um, but you never know, like those kinds of connections and like putting yourself out there, just, you know, following the things that interest you mm -hmm. can, I, I think that's one of the most important things you can do for yourself in life. I feel like that's like your one cool thing. <laughs> I feel like you've already put it out there. I know you said you have one, but I feel like that's like, there's the 1.5. Yeah. 1. We've 5. already put some 1.5s out there. Well, I, I find I, it sounds like you've gone on a similar journey to Tanya because she has also, she she's always known, she she wasn't like me and was like, no, I'm too afraid to be an actor. And then went off and did a whole bunch of other things. It was like, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. And came back and be an actor. But Tanya has been studying the craft and knew what she wanted to be and has been in the arts in a plethora of different forms, not, not just acting, but um, I mean, I'm doing a lot of talking for you right now. <laughs> I'm talking today. Hi guys, I'm still here. She's still here. How about you? What was your path like? Um, I, like you said, I always kind of knew I wanted to entertain and, like, tell stories to people. I started off figure skating. Um, I would say figure skating is where it kind of started to be in front of people. Uh, my mom put me in piano. I hated it because I had to sit there and practice all the time. So, <laughs> so I was like, I want to sing. So my mom was like, okay, let's put you in singing. And then uh, seventh grade teacher was like, here, audition for Annie. And I got the lead, and then that kind of put me down the rabbit hole. Nice. Yeah. Was that the first um, piece of work that started shifting towards acting as well? Yeah. Cool. I think um, I was more musical theater, but then it kind of took a toll on the body. I was mm -hmm. young and I was exhausted and I was like, I can't do this. And then, I don't know, acting, my mom and dad kind of, I told them I wanted to do it and they threw my headshot and resume out to agents in Toronto and then um, a really well-known one ended up taking me on for a while and then that's when I kind of knew that's what I wanted to do. Took some time off because my parents were like, well, if you want to stay in Toronto, you got to go to school. So I went to school <laughs> for dance and hated all two years of it. <laughs> I only took the quickest program I could so I could stay. Sorry, mom. <laughs> <laughs> she does listen. She, and she's your momager. Yeah. She is my From momager. From day one. Oh, yeah. I'm so thankful, yeah. She does everything for me. That's great. It's great. Yeah. So you both knew that you, like, you followed a passion from a young age, yeah. and you've been building that path. <coughs> I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> Choked on wine that I haven't even sipped yet. Um, <laughs> you followed that path from, from the get-go. Was there ever anything, like, when you look back, was there ever anything that could have pulled you away that you had um, some sort of inkling to want to do? Or was this the only, like, the be-all and end-all? Oh, this was never the be-all end. I had no idea what I wanted to do for a while. Like, <laughs> life worked out really well that I ended up in a position where I found something I was passionate about without really meaning to. Um, but I stayed for a fifth year in high school because I was like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I'm not ready to go to university. I have a December birthday. If I left now, I wouldn't even turn 19 until halfway through second year. So I stayed for a fifth year in high school, which honestly I think was one of the best decisions I ever made for myself, because um, I definitely was not ready to go away to school. Um, and in that fifth year, I took a co-op program and worked with the University of Waterloo in their Federation of Students doing event planning. 
So event planning was actually always kind of something that I had in the back of my mind as something that I would be interested in pursuing. Because I like things that have a creative and active aspect to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the events, like, you can actually watch it grow so quickly and then you watch it. Like, you see the whole cycle of it. Exactly. So... I went to this university, I chose this program because the first two years of it were general, so you learn public relations, you learn journalism, you learned uh, like photography, you learn videography and some like web development and graphic design. You do everything. You do everything in the first two years. I mean you, literally. Oh yes, I do everything. (laughs) Some of those skills are a little rusty at this point, but I've dabbled in everything. Um, and then in the third year, you pick a specialization, whether that's, you know, journalism or photography. And I chose public relations because at the time, I was like, PR seems like the thing I want to do. You get a bit of event planning, you get a bit of, you know, writing, you get to deal with interesting people. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more I kind of dabbled in a little bit of PR and worked, you know, with people in PR, I realized that it, it was not the industry for me in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, there. Yeah. I think we had similar experiences in the PR world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, for the people that it's good for, it's great for. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's really just not for me in a lot of ways. And as I was nearing graduation, I realized that. And I was like, well, shit, what do I do with my life now? Right? Like, <laughs> I, I did PR and now I don't think I want to do it. What do I do? Yeah. So I was really glad that my internship worked out. Yeah. Because I don't know, like, if I hadn't, you know, made those connections and and gotten that internship, I'm not quite sure what I'd be doing right now. And I mean, I knew in the back of my mind that I always really wanted to be in the film and television industry because I think storytelling is such an important part of society and our culture in general. I mean... Storytelling is sort of the adult version of play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as, as a child, play is the most important portion of your development in a lot of ways. Why is it that we're so hesitant to use that word as adults, though, for ourselves? It's a great question. That is a great question. I was thinking that the other day when I was in class. I was like, why don't we do this more? Why, why don't, don't we play? play? Like, why can Tony come out and play? Yeah, like, <laughs> from now on, whenever I need to see somebody for a meeting or whatever, I'm I'm going to ask them if they can come up and play. Even before that, I was I was with my my little cousin, and she's like, "Do you want to play dolls with me?" And I'm like, "I don't remember the last time I've actually played dolls or played imaginary things, except yeah. like in class and stuff." But calling it play is weird. Well, I feel like I there's some think. adult connotations that sometimes yeah. get wrapped in the word play. I yeah, think I that we, yeah. yeah, I think, first of all, adults are the worst. Um, <laughs> I think adults them. ruin everything with innuendos <laughs> or make them better with innuendos. It's all, <laughs> yeah. but but it, it is true. I mean, we, we dirty everything up. Like the innocence is lost. The innocence yeah. is always gone and, and it's hard to, I mean, I've also spent the past couple, I guess, six or seven years studying and producing and playing improv, mm-hmm. and it's completely changed my my notion about that word and what it means and, and how how much it means to any organization, any even even just like the tiny 
why are there sirens? <laughs> well, why are people fucking up the world out there <laughs> while we're busy recording? God damn it! How dare you? Ugh. We're trying to play here. We're having our innocence, you fuckos. How <laughs> But to bring it back to like the innocent sort of language, I mean, <laughs> being able to—it's just getting loud. Yeah, this is karma. They heard me. They're coming. Oh, maybe they're playing with me, and that's cool. But mm. to, to have to have that ability to to trampoline off of moments that could. I don't know, I guess even show up as a negative in your life initially and then to see it as a fun thing and to play with it and to incorporate it into, to not stop recording, for instance, in that moment. Yeah. And because they're, I'm sure for the first couple of episodes, that would have been oh. something that I've been like, sorry, no, yeah, oh, well, no, no, no. One of the first ones, you're like, can you unplug the fridge? I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I just, I know that there are certain things they do on set to hit those quality aspects. Like, bitch, yeah. you can't even pull that fridge out, right? <laughs> oh my god, I think you're being serious. I remember that. Yeah, no, oh my god. <laughs> I thought you were joking and it actually just hit me. I, I did. I sincerely asked you to unplug it. But I'm like 82.73% sure. That's <laughs> the fact that you know the accurate amount of percentage that you know. It's yeah, a very precise number and I'm very I like precise. I for sure asked you to unplug your fridge. <laughs> And then, like, your neighbors probably started having that weird turtle croc sex upstairs. Oh, no! Have you seen that video? No! Okay, we love tangents on this show, (laughs) so I'm also going to include this as my 2.5. 2.5, uh, cool you went from 1.5 to 2.5. Well, because I had one and I had a 1.5, but this this deserves a full one. This deserves a full one, so I got 2.5. But there's a video, um, yes, I should be writing this stuff down. <laughs> You've never seen the turtle have sex with a croc? I'm oh, talking no. about the stupid shoe. I'm not talking about the amphibian. Yeah, no, I have not seen the turtle having a croc. Okay, great. well, for all you listeners out there who are curious about what Tanya's neighbors sound like having sex, I will post a video. That's there you go. really funny. <laughs> Um, I won't reenact the sound now. I'm just gonna send it to you later. Oh, so you I have was going to have fun times. No, no. We, you know what? Let's get back to the innocence of it all and, play. and the fact that, but but the word play, the concept of play. If we even just think about the way that nature plays with itself. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, I, and back to the turtle. <laughs> Nature plays with itself. <laughs> oh, God, that stupid sound. <laughs> Actually, that's, again, it just, it all circles back to the turtle fucking the croc. Um, it, 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 like, we are supposed to learn from nature, and nature has evolved because it has hit those moments of plays. The, the different myopic, I guess, I don't know, let's talk about the neurons in our brains, shall we? <laughs> Just kidding, I'm not going to go that deep. But the way that, that nature has evolved to where we are today is the same way that we, even the way that we have built our societies, we've built buildings. How do you think that we figured out how to do stuff, aside from even language? You, you know, we started grunting at each other, and then paying attention to the grunts, and then deciphering which type of grunt meant I'm hungry, and which type of grunt meant ouch, ouch, you're on my hair. Um, and <laughs> we don't, we don't play the same way anymore. I think we take ourselves very seriously as humans yeah. and that's sad. Yeah, I agree. I think, well, I mean, that's coming back to the, you know, original point. I think that's why storytelling is so important is because 
it allows people to play a lot more than I think that they'd like to admit. I mean, you think about what, you know, fandom and fan culture generates. It allows people to really immerse themselves into something creative, even if they wouldn't necessarily consider themselves creative people. Yeah. And that is a form of play. And it's so, so, so important to the human psyche to have that outlet to do that in your life. We are all, whether people deem themselves as a creator or not, I honestly believe that is what we do. I think Mm -hmm. that part of that seriousness that has evolved with us has started to label people as creatives and non-creatives or having a rational brain and the, the, what's the creative side, the left side? or is it the right side? The right I think side. It's the right side that's creative. Right side and left side. Left left. side's analytical. But we've been we've been I don't know diet, self diagnosing as being creatives or non creatives. Uh, like no, I'm just into business. Well, hate to break it to you, Buster, but business is about being creative. It's about understanding the different types of humans you're going to interact with and the the problems that are going to arise and finding creative solutions. And so it always kind of blows my mind to hear people talk about this difference between creators and consumers. A consumer is just as much of a creator in that storytelling process, especially these days. I just experienced VR for the first time. Oh, yes. Um, And I'm, well, not for the first time, but uh, it was, it was just, it was an experience I'm not going to forget for a very long time. Also, Twin Peaks. That is the spinoff show. Oh. I was trying to remember. Do you know Twin Peaks? Yes, I do know Twin okay. Peaks. Okay. So, no? You'd have you not seen no, it? No, I haven't. You're a bad fan. <laughs> you are a bad fan. Is that a direct spin-off? I never saw either of them, so I'm going <laughs> to... I don't think it is. I'm not one to be judging anything else. <laughs> I don't watch the original. I can't even picture the guy's face. I keep picturing Rob Lowe instead. And Twin Peaks yeah, just came about that different. No, yeah, I love West Wing. I'm, I'm, I still watch the U.S. shows. There's nothing wrong with that. No, no, no. But play and storytelling. I'm yes. glad we have somebody who, like you, can bring it back around to what we were talking about <laughs> because I'm into the wine. <laughs> but I mean, that's so. That's kind of what I knew. I was always passionate about was storytelling, and I mean, my love of Do South as a teenager made me realize just what kind of an impact storytelling can really have on people. Like, I was going to these conventions and people from around the world were coming together to meet each other and to celebrate this thing and to play with each other. Like, to enjoy this... (laughs) I know you're not wrong, though! (laughs) I mean, if it helps, there is a couple of people who fell in love and got married because they met over this thing. Like. (laughs) <laughs> playing in a different way but I mean just that's how people connect of course you're gonna fall in love with each other if you're able to open up and have a sense of play with one another I think that's why I've always ah uh, my I guess top of the need list is when it comes to finding that significant other <laughs> um nobody matches up to like needing that fun I'm just kidding I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um but somebody who has a humor a sense of humor is one of the most important things because, geez, absolutely, we just they take everything so seriously. We're not going to get out alive. Have fun while you're here. They need to really enjoy puns. Oh yeah, that's what master. attracted me to my significant other. Like he's 
puns nonstop. And we we actually worked together, and for a brief period of time, he sat directly across from me. So it was just puns all day long. Oh, got, of course like, you're going to fall in love with that. Oh my god, yeah. I was just like laughing my he ass knew off it. all day. He sat across from the desk and he was like, I've got my weapon, and just pun, 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 <laughs> shooting them at you. All yeah. like, I'm winning her head over. Yeah. Well, it's so funny, too, because we were like, we worked together. We should not date each other. That's the worst decision on the planet. That mm-hmm. uh, didn't last long. <laughs> you, you, you can't control that part. No. I always say the same thing about not shitting where you eat, but especially when you also don't really have too much of a life outside <laughs> of that industry, like... I, I don't know, I guess we're getting into yoga now, but, like, am I going to go fucking yogi? No. Because that I mean, even it might be worth it for at least a night. Sure, it would be stretchy. But <laughs> I, it is not, it is the least appropriate thing that you could do, probably. It's like, well, here we're trying to connect to a higher sense of being, and now you're just trying to bone me. I don't think you want to cross those lines. But you can connect to a higher sense of being together. Oh, no. You are having <laughs> a horrible idea. <laughs> you never know where you're going to meet that person. Is it bad that I actually already asked that question in our training? I did, didn't I? <laughs> I do you remember that? They were talking about, like, the, the boundaries. And... If you're attracted to a student, how you don't, oh, yeah. you don't offer any kind of readjustment. Like you don't touch them in any physical oh. way to offer a readjustment if they're if they're in the wrong position. If they need to be readjusted in a position, you verbalize your mm. readjustment. And I, I'm, I'm like, not honey. <laughs> okay, for those who can't see what we're doing, uh, Tanya is like a little chihuahua right now, up in the air. And <laughs> Every episode, there's a for those who can't. For see those, it. <laughs> for those who um, probably want to slap us for not turning it into YouTube content yet, we will. We'll get around to digital content <laughs> soon enough, and we're you can watch. Tanya's just stay tuned, motherfuckers. Stay tuned. Yeah, we do have some exciting things in the work, so do stay tuned. Um... But yeah, my question back to this <laughs> yogi, this teacher of our yoga training, was what if you're attracted to the teacher? <laughs> because it happened to me recently and it was just but he ended up I laughed I, I, I'm like, I don't even, like I don't no one's gonna listen to this who knows us, right? Anyway, I'm also not mentioning names. But I took a yoga class, um this is this is this is months ago, I'm saying. Um I took a yoga class months ago that in which the the professor of the yogas was <laughs> was um super attractive and and it was duly noted before I started and I'm like cool gonna gonna try to keep, stay focused and get what I can out of this and just but he just continually came over and was very touchy was very readjusty was very like <laughs> Had, so at one point, I think he was standing over top of me with like this ball's hand above my head. I'm like, I don't, I don't like. I know this is supposed to be a personal practice, and I'm supposed to be getting in touch with my. I just wanted to like bat at them, <laughs> like a cat. Yeah, like kind of. Do you anyway. think you might have subconsciously been like not getting into the postures perfectly? I was just about to ask that. Um, Here's my wire <laughs> one with my ass hanging out on the wrong side. My arms are crooked. Adjust me now, motherfucker. Is this how you like it? Real crooked. I'm a crazy yogi. Like that warrior too. Oh god, everything sounds so piratey. 
that is good. <laughs> I feel like we should do it on Jonas's boat. There we go. Um, God, this got off tangent. So now you know how podcasts like these go. <laughs> um, let's let's address the second part that I was yes. wanting to get to. We've talked about some of the work that you do. Yeah. We also talked about fucking yogis, so that was weird. Yeah. And now let's talk a little bit about how you keep yourself sane and and. Like you've been doing this for five years, and not just doing the same thing. It's been evolving, and it's become become more and more for you. How do you do it? How do you keep saying? What is the personal side of this? Where like, do you have routines? Do you check in with yourself? That's a really good question because I mean, working in an industry like the entertainment industry, where you know. Boundaries are there in theory, but not always actually there. And, you know, sometimes you have regular hours and sometimes you really don't have regular hours. And then added to that, and then also working in social media where there's literally no way to turn that off, it can get really challenging, especially because when you work in social media, it's it's funny because... There's this perception of when you manage social media, getting everything perfect right away is very much the expectation. Like if, you know, there's a typo in a post, it's the end of the world. People freak out. But at the end of the day, it's Twitter. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it can be a big deal, but also one post with a slight typo is really not going to color people's perception of anything. But there's this expectation that, you know, you're aware, you're watching, you're keeping an eye on everything all the time. And so there's a weird melding of never being able to get away from my own personal social media either, because I have to be watching those notifications, making sure everything everything is, you know, happening fine. If, you know, someone goes on a racist tirade on one of the accounts that I manage, I need to keep an eye on that and get that, you know, handled quickly. Yeah. So I can't just, you know, delete Facebook off my phone because I'm getting tired of it. I need to have it there and I need to be checking those oh, notifications wow. every time they come in. So how do you deal with that, like, when it starts getting overwhelming? It's tricky, but I think our company's really good at sharing the load. You know, when, when we do do social media heavy projects, there's always two people, you know, there's a project manager and a community manager, so you're able to kind of share that burden a bit. Um, so you're able to take that time off, you're able to, you know, be a team on it, so no one is solely responsible for making that happen. Um, and it's really just, I think there's a lot of self-management that mm-hmm. comes with it. It's, you know, keeping an eye on the notification, but not obsessing over it. Um, You know, realizing that even if a client might be upset that something didn't get handled within five minutes, that's not the end of the world and not internalizing that stress that people have about it. Um, And it took me a long time to get to a point where I realized that, like, it's not the end of the world. And I'm still not, not perfect at that. It can still get very, very stressful at times. It can still get very upsetting if you realize that you know, you posted the wrong link and people are commenting it. Like, I've had panic attacks over it before. Like, it's mm. it's incredibly stressful sometimes. But it's, it's a lot of self-management. It's a lot of learning and 
like it's just personal growth and making sure that you utilize the support systems that you have. And I think that's one of the hardest things to learn as a young person working in general is mm -hmm. utilizing your support systems, especially as like a young millennial, you want to prove like you're there, you're working, you're on top of it, you're awesome. Like you don't want to show weakness. I think there's this, this mm -hmm. thing with a lot of millennials that you have to be on top of everything. You're the perfect employee you're you know, no never, vulnerability no vulnerability no vacation time you get everything done you're perfect you're you know no faults um and i think there's just a lot of personal growth that needs to happen that allows you to realize that mistakes are okay mm -hmm. and so when i got promoted into a management position working with some of our younger staff i really made a big point of making sure that they were aware like it's not the end of the world. If a client is upset, that's not necessarily on you. You know, we're all in this together. It's okay. I'm here to support you if you need support. Like, we're in this together. It's um, amazing. Because that was one of the things, like, I mean, I had a really good support system when I first started. But at the same time, I'm, I'm one of those people. I'm an overachiever. I, you know, I, I failed one class in high school and it devastated me. <laughs> But I think it was ultimately a very good life experience to fail. It was math. I, and I failed horribly. There was no salvaging that. I failed with like a 30%. It was it was bad. I failed math too, girl. Don't High five! <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think it's, you know, it's really about utilizing those support systems and offering those support systems. And really it's about teamwork and putting that forward and sharing that, you know, we win together and we fail together. Yeah. And it's never on one single person. And I think that's just a good life mentality to have. Um, so it's really been working on a lot of personal growth to to have that mentality. And, you know, I, some days I'm better at it than others, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as I'm sure we all are. But, you know, it's it's tricky. And so it's it's a daily reminder of, you know, take a breath, it's okay. You know, we're taking one step at a time. Yeah. So, it's tricky. <laughs> do you ever, you mentioned the word vacation, but do you ever feel like, maybe on a semi-regular basis, or maybe maybe even every night, do you, do you ever feel like you actually unplug? Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know why that word just kept kind of resonating with me when you were, when you were yeah. talking. I'm like, I... I've, uh, I, I, I guess I'm a, an introverted extrovert or an extrovert. Oh, I'm just an ambivert. Yeah, I'm an ambivert. There you go. And, but the way that I take my, my alone time, my introverted time, or when I unplug, I, I, I think it's, it's most unsettling to those who are closest to me. I will fall off the face of the planet and just stop answering messages and like disconnect for days. I will fuck off somewhere. Um, I even, I've, I've, I've like, I do it when I get too much on my plate or if I get stressed out or if I'm like, I, I shouldn't, I deserve to, I'm like, I deserve a vacation. This just sounds like super millennial. <laughs> but I, I've like hopped on a plane and just gone to another city because I couldn't deal with all the stuff that was going on here. And I'm like, I, if I get away geographically and even then it's like, I, 
I can like open up my computer and get some work done and just disconnect from the people in the city. It's almost just the change of location that sometimes I need, but unplugging, I just take it when I need it. And obviously like I won't drop obligations if they're no. contractual or if they're some sort of work obligation. But but it's yeah, it's the people who are closest to me, it's the personal ones, and that's what I'm working on because those are the ones that kind of fall to the wayside first. I'm like, nope, nope, it's about me. And I'm disconnecting right now. Goodbye. Don't even say bye. I just I'm a runner. <laughs> so who do you need? <laughs> I should stop verbalizing that because I'm putting that energy back out there in the world, but I'm getting better at not just houdiniing on people. Mostly relationships. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So you don't unplug? Unplugging is very rare, I guess I should say. I mean, I'm able to take a weekend now and then where I, like, I don't need to check the things, you know. Like I said, it's a team effort, but especially being in the management side of it, you know, I'm I'm responsible for how my team operates, right? So I don't like to just leave it. Um, that's why when I do take long vacation times, I like to leave the country, so I have mm-hmm. to. I can't just, you know, check things. I don't have data and you know, Vienna, yeah. like, it's not gonna happen. Um, but I think, yeah, I don't really get to unplug in the way that a lot of people do, which can be really hard sometimes. I mean, even though I'm in there primarily for work, you know, the FOMO is real still. You know, I'm there checking work stuff, but I still see what everyone is doing, and it's, you know, I it's like tricky. FOMO has... Uh, when did that term actually hit the scene? I feel like it's almost 10 years old now. It's Yeah, it's been around for a little while now. So the way that I feel about FOMO, because I ha- I was late to FOMO, so I had FOMO about FOMO for a little while, and <laughs> once I got onto the FOMO train and started to understand, okay, cool, yeah, we have developed this culture where we are incessantly checking our Facebook, checking our Instagram, checking our Snapchats, or whatever the platform of the day is, and... We're always worried we're going to miss out on something and we're stressing ourselves out because we can't clone ourselves and we can't be everywhere at once and making those decisions, the brain power it takes to make those decisions of what you're going to cut away and what you're going to choose to actually commit yourself to, it's, we're, we're, we're putting so much more demand on ourselves to make, to make those decisions and it takes an insurmountable amount of brain power to make those decisions. So I feel like we have spent a good time building up this FOMO and then hopping on the FOMO train and then actually priding ourselves on having the FOMO and being able to try to spread ourselves thinner. And now, I don't know if this is the same for everybody else or if you feel like this about FOMO, but I've hit a point where that word, it, it maybe, maybe it's the rebel in me and I just want to run again. But when I hear things about FOMO now, I'm like, that just makes me want to sit back and be like, well, I'll choose none of it. <laughs> I'll choose meditation. And I'll probably be inside by myself and not answer my phone again. <laughs> not going to, like, not actually engaging in any of the options instead of selecting one out of all of them. And I don't know if that's just, like, this, this peak point of what that FOMO trajectory looks like that journey of its growth and how people are reacting to the constant demand of attention. But then again, I choose to unplug in probably the most inopportune times. (laughs) So, and it sounds like you have not yet um, unplugged for a while. (laughs) I have not actually. The last time I went out of the country was almost a year ago. Although I did take a long weekend not too long ago where I was able to kind of like 
be away from the city, which was nice. You don't realize how loud the city is until you go somewhere right. quiet, and you're like, so what true. is this? Oh my god, that's all this past, like, the past, I don't even know how many months now. This year, 2018, I want to say, has been about realizing where noise is coming from and how to find silence sometimes in the noise. Um, but for the most part, just realizing where the noise is coming from. So I felt the same way. That's why I left my last apartment. I didn't realize how there was never a moment of silence. Mm. I could not turn anything off. I was literally in the heart of the downtown core. And it was always noisy. Yeah. And it wasn't until I let go of that place. And I think it was a couple of days into not being there, I was like, oh, I hear nothing. <laughs> I, like, I, I dropped the place and I was going, I, I went up to my parents and they lived next to a forest and next to the water and... I literally had one night where I was looking at the stars and, and I think finally some noise came into my, my auditory peripheral and it was the, the rustling of leaves. I'm like, my God, that's what that sound sounds like? I wasn't even heard it on the TVs. It was just such a different experience. And now I, I think I've found a new appreciation for the city, but I will never put myself through... Probably that I think I was about five years of not having an off switch. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. My boss is actually very good about you haven't taken vacation days yet. You need to take some vacation days, uh, so that's helpful to have those periods where you can unplug. I mean, I'm also super neurotic and like to make sure everything's running smoothly. So a lot of my non-unplugging is very much on me. <laughs> this is why we get along so well. <laughs> <laughs> like, neurotic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I think in terms of, like, the FOMO and the social media, part of managing accounts for television shows, I think, alleviates some of that FOMO because, I mean, it's kind of a cool thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you get that sort of social gratification in different ways than you do just from your own. Like, you still get that social gratification, even though it's not directly related to you. You see that what you're posting is interesting and exciting to people, even though it's not you specifically. I feel like you still kind of get that, you know, reaction. It sounds like it kind of comes full circle back to the idea of you're still enjoying what you're doing. You're following the passion, so it's not... You're not going to a nine to five job that is soul sucking. You don't. No. You, you don't go somewhere to, that that you don't enjoy on a daily basis. You're still doing something that. I mean, it's just such a cool story how you <laughs> ended up there, and and the fact that it is a cool job too. Yeah. And the fact that you enjoy it. Yes. That's one of the most beautiful things. Yeah, and the thing is too, like with social media, people are so candid on the internet, and you get to connect with fandom and fans in a way that no one else gets to experience. It's incredible. I've been moved to tears so many times in this job just by the things people I don't know. I was suggest. pretty candid about talking about playing catnip style ball <laughs> with Yogi Ball. Like, I mean, that was this very inappropriate. I should probably edit it out. I don't know why I read it back up again, but... <laughs> but a lot of people aren't that candid in real life. True, true. Well, that's why I'm on the TV. <laughs> But it's wonderful, like, people open up to about, you know, my grandfather passed away and we bonded over this show and so it means so much to me. Or, like, 
you know, my three-year-old has cancer and we get, you know, our ability to bond is through this television show. I worked on this one series called Mohawk Girls and one of the characters in it is half indigenous and half white. And we got a message once from a viewer who was talking about how they were half indigenous and half white and they'd never seen themselves represented on television before. That's and they amazing. started bawling when they watched the show because it was such an incredible moment to see someone who had their struggle represented on television and have that unique situation visible to them. And so being in a position where people are, are sending you those messages regularly, is it's a very uniquely privileged position to be in because I get to see those incredible stories that people have and how storytelling affects them personally every day. It's really incredible. That is really cool. To, it's, it's like you're on the regular front line of being yeah. able to see immediate reaction. Yeah. I love that. It's amazing. I remember, so I worked on Corner Gas the movie several years no. ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was actually one of my first projects when I got hired. Um, <laughs> and someone had messaged us about how their, their kid had cancer and probably wasn't going to make it until the movie was released. And they messaged the Facebook page and through that I was able to coordinate them being able to see the movie before it hit theaters. So that so their kid could experience this and like wow. those kinds of experiences they stick with you like mm -hmm. it's incredible being a part of something like this because I mean I think a lot of people look at the entertainment industry as something frivolous when in reality it's it's so important it's what we were saying earlier about play it's so important to the human psyche and you know having that kind of thing that that brings people together and and anchors us in an emotional way that nothing else does. It's so important. Yeah, and to go on with that point, I remember having this debate with someone years ago at Joey's. A I was actually a doctor at, at a table, and he's like, mm -hmm. I just don't understand actors. Like, how do you do that? How do you have such a life where you don't know where your next paycheck's coming from? Da 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 da. And I was like, yeah. And then he was like, I just, why, why won't you get a real job? Ugh. And when he said that, I was like, I was like, well, can I ask you a question, sir? I was like, what do you do after a long day? What do you do when you get home? He's like, well, I do the dishes, or I eat, I do the dishes, and then I turn on the TV. I'm like, the TV. I was like, those are actors. We help you get through your day and, and, and turn off your brain just to watch something different. And it's like, we are an important part of society, and people don't realize how much they actually watch TV watch Instagram stories, watch YouTube stories, watch YouTube movies, and like, it's a very big thing in society, and people think it's frivolous, and it's... It's never not, not been there. Storytelling has been, like, oh, the nomads have yeah. traveled around in Jeffrey Chaucer days, just to go from clan to clan to, to communicate with each other to connect each other so that you weren't just traveling clans anymore you were building societies because the, the clans were connecting yeah. you were telling each other stories traveling around and weaving that web and I feel like that's what storytellers do in in a much in a faster pace and in a, obviously a much different way in a digital way where those the weaving of those webs and the connecting of the clans is happening on such a fast pace now that we we forget about what that actually means. 
because these platforms are also being used in, um, it's just broken down into a plethora of different types of connections and storytelling. I mean, even when you're just using Instagram to message people or have a group chat and setting up a dinner, for instance. We've been trying to set up a dinner with a bunch of friends for the past week and everybody has such busy schedules. So Hey, how's November 7th? We're literally <laughs> a fucking month away, I, bro. I, I think it's November 9th, actually, that we saw oh, a lot. No. <laughs> yeah, but that, you know, you're still, you're still connecting and developing these other clans and we don't realize it anymore because we've also... I mean, it just now moved through this system of finding out how to capitalize on it and how to turn it. And and we are also now, we're giving ourselves that challenge of figuring out how to capitalize on these different forms of uh, storytelling platforms mm. at such a faster pace. Because as soon as we figure out how to monetize something, we're on to the next one. Yeah. We're already we're already developing VR and figuring out if the same sort of advertising models work with that t- type of storytelling. Yeah. It's it's the weirdest thing, and we're we never live in the present. Okay, okay, I hear you. <laughs> I hear the sirens. I feel like yeah, we're at we're past an hour. It's oh. that that's what it's trying to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Before we get to our one cool thing, yes. is there anything else that you wanted to add? No, I think you know. I think we really covered it. Really. You know, storytelling is important, yeah. and I think it's important to us in a lot of different ways. Yeah, totally. Well, we have many more nights of just hanging and drinking and building oh, this yeah. clan up, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but we're now at the one cool thing, and I've given my 1.5 and my 2.5. Yeah. Um, my uh, number one, as Tanya runs to the other side of her apartment to find <laughs> a, a list that she's written down. So, my one cool thing is uh, an app, or I guess it's a collection of apps developed by the same two guys. These two fellows, one I believe is a psychologist or a psychoanalyst and, or a psychotherapist, and the other is an app developer of, uh, he's a tech of some sort. And the Apps, if you, you can go to ggapps.net to actually look through the full catalog of what they have available. But basically, they're, they're like different games. I had a friend show this to me yesterday. They're like different games that you can play. Uh, the first couple that I see here on the site are, um, the first one says that it is geared towards uh, prevent and beat depressive thoughts is what it's titled. There's one that's called improve confidence and self-esteem. There's another that's called Relationship Doubt and Obsession. There's another for OCD. There are so many on this site, and you can download them as an app on your phone. And essentially, these different programs are games that have pop-ups, pop-up sentences that are either positive or negative. And if they're positive, you swipe them toward down towards yourself. If they're negative, you swipe them up, away from yourself, I believe. That's how it goes. Um, and it's almost just a way of training... It's a physical way, but also a mental way of training yourself to accept more of those positive thoughts and to push away the negative ones. Uh, th- there's more to the apps, but um, that's kind of the gist of it. And it's it was just super interesting when my friend showed it to me yesterday. So it's a and I'm I I'm just I love games to come back to it. I mean, especially I've just been delving into understanding how games are constructed, mostly in a uh, VR sense or an AR sense, 
specifically for a project that I'm building, but I've been going out and testing some VR studios with some other um, producers and filmmakers to try to understand exactly now how we're interacting with the content that we're not only consuming, but in a symbiotic way creating as we go. How these consumers are now also enveloped in into the, the fold of artists that are building these worlds, these games that you get to play. So that's my other one, that's my 85th cool thing of this episode. What's your one cool thing? So my one cool thing is actually I'm stealing it from my boss. She uh, thinks mindfulness and you know being grateful for the things in your life is very, very important. So every time we have a company meeting, at the end of every company meeting, we go around and every single person says three things that they're grateful for. And it could be, you know, the weather, it could be their dog, it could be, you know, something more intense than that. And I think that's such a, a wonderful practice to take a moment to be aware of the things in your life you're grateful for, even if it's just warm weather or your dog. Mm. It's such a great practice. Yeah. I love, I love that. Do you have a wonderful thing? I kind of do. Oh my god! So, um, the past week I have been in a weird space, like overactive thinking, everything. Just my brain has been boggled. Like one of my stories was, don't you ever just want to punch yourself in the brain? I saw that in your <laughs> yeah, Instagram story. So, I don't know, just sometimes life just gets heavy. And um, so I was like listening, one of my friends was like, why don't you try some breathing techniques? So there's this book. I haven't bought it yet. I really want to because I was Googling breathing techniques and this is how this book came up. And it's called The Healing Power of Breath by um, a Dr. Richard Brown, I believe. I think I have that at home if you want to borrow it. <clears throat> cool. Anyways, but yeah, so um, one of the quotes that stuck with me was, the actual act of counting keeps the mind present. So when you're breathing, you're counting in your breaths, and it actually surprisingly really helps just concentrating on your breathing, because a lot of people don't realize that your breathing really helps you get out of certain states of mind, and it was, it was good. So I've been concentrating on my breathing. That's amazing. <laughs> that's a good one. That's, that's huge. I think that, I mean, you don't really realize your, I guess, relationship with breathing until you start paying attention yeah. to it. Yeah, because it's something that's so motor, like you're so used to it. It's like walking, it's like blinking, it's like swallowing. It's something you're so used to be, to doing that you don't think that... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you just think, like, when you're a baby, that's the first thing that you just do naturally. <laughs> like, I should just know how to do it. But in, in a way, in, in many ways, I'm sure that it's all connected on some sort of psychosomatic level you learn different breathing patterns that you hold in yourself for such a long time yeah. that might not necessarily be helping you. Yeah. If you think of like the fight, or, the fight or flight state where your breathing pattern either like you hold your breath to avoid prey or you, your, your breath pattern speeds up. Um, if you're constantly, if you have this ongoing unconscious narr or subconscious narrative that is anxiety are you also do you have a breathing pattern that matches that yeah. oh, you'll never know until you start paying attention to it yeah 
And even just in general, I realize I have a really bad habit of not breathing when I walk upstairs for no real reason. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's which specific. Is, yes. <laughs> which is not a great, like, breathing while you're walking upstairs is a good thing to do. So pay attention to your breathing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to pay attention next time I turn upstairs. Wow. I don't know how I breathe when I do stairs. I don't like the Stairmaster. No. I mean, it's, it's very the 90s machine. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> well, on that note, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it was good. And for all y'all, sorry you missed out on the wine and Tanya humping the air. <laughs> Bye. 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 If you like this podcast, you can support it by subscribing to it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also leave us a rating or review, which sincerely helps us and we absolutely love. Come hang out with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And send us your questions, recommendations, and cool things at we're totally not okay at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to We're Totally Not Okay. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs>